Welcome to Identity Inside Out. Getting ID Right, a special InnovationOz.com podcast series brought to you by SailPoint. The last two years have seen unparalleled forces drive change. The setting of an unprecedented stage for a work-from-anywhere culture, coupled with an equal evolution of digital services and an ever-evolving, sophisticated cyber threat landscape. The corresponding response to this shift has been a continued focus on complying with the ASD Essential 8 and amendments to the Critical Infrastructure Act, imposing tighter guidelines and increasing cybersecurity requirements. While technology is an enabler, focus is renewed on facilitating change without impact. In this podcast series, we explore the controversies, perils, and opportunities that face industry in the midst of change and how the organizations today are going to secure their virtual borders against the attacks of tomorrow. Welcome to Inside Out, Getting ID Right. This podcast today, we're talking about the landscape of education in the online world. There's been huge changes in higher education, and one thing that's critical to the way we look at our universities is how we protect them from cyber attack. So I'd like to introduce uh, Kim uh, Valois, who is the CISO at Flinders University. Uh, Kim has a, an incredible background as a former professional intelligence officer with de- decades of operational intelligence service. Now working as uh, the CISO at Flinders University, there's huge insights that we're really looking forward to hearing today about what it's like to protect a university environment, how you look at it, how it might be different from other environments, and what are some of the specific challenges and and also opportunities today in terms of managing cyber. So welcome, Kim, and also welcome Nam Lam from Sailpoint. How are you both? Very well, thanks. Thanks, Corey. Kim, I'm going to start with you. When, as a CISO, when you put your hat on and you look at an organisation like Flinders University, it's a it's a vast environment. When you're looking from a cyber perspective, what are the, what is top of mind for you in terms of who and how and what you're protecting? What does what does that look like? A university is a really complex environment, first of all. So it's uh, probably not like your typical enterprise. Uh, there are lots of stakeholders. There are a lot of different types of things to protect. So I am, wor- I am always working and keen to understand exactly what it is that we most need to protect and also what we need to enable. Because I don't believe that security should be about saying no. It's really about being able to figure out how to say yes and how to be able to protect while also allowing the business to do the core things that it needs to do. So there's a lot there. Um, and those are the things that I think about. The, the third thing that I have to think about and all, and, and everybody in this role has to think about is the threat, the threat. Right. What are the cyber threats? What are the cyber risks? Uh, I guess there are cyber risks in addition to cyber threats, right? Things that are vulnerabilities, things that we could improve. And then there are cyber threats, which are uh, different types of hazards that are cyber related that can occur. And uh, that is a really big part of understanding how to protect and, and what to protect and how. 
And I'm really interested, um, Nam, I'll bring you in in a second. When you're talking about a university environment, you've really got people at lots of levels of maturity. And often you have sort of young people you know, exiting school, entering higher education, which sometimes is the first time they're really establishing an identity, which increasingly is becoming like a really fundamental part of um, of the cyber strategy. How do, you, how do you manage that? What are the things that you need to think about when you're talking about a young person creating identity in their adult life? Well, like anybody, um, I think I take a, a view of citizenry, right? So um, students and especially school leavers or new students who are just starting out and they're just uh, establishing that adult, you know, real world entity that uh, an identity um, they they need the same protection that any members of, of society require. And so we need to be sure that we do that. So they're not professionals yet. In fact, they're, they're studying, they're students. Um, they need to be treated as, um, as grownups and they need to be uh, given the assistance to be able to understand what the consequences are to some of their identity. So that that is an, an element in higher education that's probably a little bit different than an organization of employees or employees and strategic partners. Uh, so that that's important. A, a university also has a lot of third parties. We have a lot of visitors. We have people coming from other institutions, their research, uh, members of the public, um, various types of contractors and organizations that do work or are partnering or uh, just present on the university. And, and we have a very open environment. So as opposed to, it's almost like a shopping center, really. Like there's not a gate here where anybody is saying you can't come in. So Almost anyone could take the bus and walk into the university. Um, there, yes, we have security, you know, physical security in on the campus, but it's very focused on certain types of areas and certain types of things or after hours. But during business hours and during the week, um, literally the bus stops out at the front and there's not a gate. So it's got a very public sense. And that's one of the wonderful things about a university, but it also requires us to um, be considerate about how we protect and, and, and what identity means here. I think there's some brilliant examples there when you're talking about like the function of a university, like in its DNA, it must be open mm -hmm. and collaborative and inclusive. And, you know, it, it sits separately to the way that we think of locking things down. It's about sharing yeah. of knowledge and ideas, et cetera. So, um, Nan, that's a, a good place to bring you in because when often we talk about, you know, identity or locking things down, how do you create that element of security at the same time you're actually wanting to facilitate better collaboration, more openness, have more par have more partners and, um, you know that that is that they're the two things that kind of sit at odds, don't they? How do you get that? It's such right? a simple question that you've asked, haven't you, Corey? No, it's a very uh, complex question. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sorry it's tongue in cheek that. there. Um, so to add to what uh, you mentioned around the complexity, yes, the the university digital ecosystem or landscape is complex, but I think the other part of the complexity is expectations. So uh, what I mean by that is if you look at the uh, the biggest cohort of users across any university, it's the students, right? Um, and, you know, if, and not to generalize, but, um, you know, if we look at the, the demographic of, of the, the, the adult, I guess, adult people in universities, um, they are very digital literate, right? I'm not sure if they, they, they fit into the digital natives kind of cohort of, of people that we, we talk about, 
Uh, but also in general, you know, society, you know, is, it has become, uh, an instant gratification society. So we want things now. Um, so we, we want something, we want it now. Um, so then, you know, here's, here's the question of, you know, how do we make it easy, uh, for, you know, these types of users, um, to gain access to conduct their learning or conduct their, their work while we, um, while, while we keep things fairly secure? Um, and I'm going to be a little bit biased because of the discipline that, um, that I live in called identity security. Uh, we think a uh, big part of the, part of the answer is ensuring that, um, yeah, we do put a firewall around uh, each of the users uh, within within our university. So it's uh, it's really seeing that the modern white firewall, so modern perimeter, being the user. Um, and if we can uh, put a firewall wrapper uh, uh, around each of the users, um, yeah, we have visibility of who's got access uh, across all applications and systems within the university, whilst giving them, um, you know, the access requirements to conduct their learning and work. I think that's that's got, that that that's a big part of the answer that we could explore, um, but that's that's my point of view on this. I remember um, some years ago, someone pointed out that some of the largest organisations in New Zealand, given the the way that New Zealand is sort of organised and often head offices are, are not you know onshore, were universities. So we're really talking about comparatively big size enterprises if you're talking about the number of people that are you know, interacting with the system so in, even from a practical perspective around like you know automation is a word that you're, you're keen to touch on because it's a big job there's a lot of people it's volume and so you have the you know really important you know the job to protect then you have a lot of people that are moving through the system so does how much of a role does automation play well everything is automated anymore right um, maybe I shouldn't assume that that's the case, but we are largely working in a digital world. So we're not working in a pen and paper type of a world. There's so many things that have been automated and, and, and what we've gone through in the past few years with the pandemic and having to work offshore, you know, off campus and work remotely and virtually has really supercharged that. So automation is very important. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to be able to put together, um, you know, the entire education history, but also all the services that we deliver uh, need to be able to be done uh, largely in a digital and in a virtual type of a sense. So um, unlike, it, it's really wonderful having um, you know, the, all those lockdowns from the pandemic over because there's students back on campus and, and that allows people to collaborate on that personal level. And that's very important also for people who are staff, researchers, etc., to be able to do that. But we're using automated tools. We're not using pen and paper. Mm. That's that, a good point that you raise, like seeing people coming back on campus. It, it, that goes to... The university will be a different place than what it was three or four years ago, and, and workflows are different. And from a from a cyber perspective, there's probably a number of different elements to that. But even 100% dependency on online work to you know hybrid environments and stuff. And what are the other things that you've that you are working through adapting in terms of how the environment has changed in the last? Well, of there years? was probably more of a presence of. Um, students coming to lectures and being and actually uh, consuming their, their, you know, their coursework that, um, in a face-to-face -face sense before and and during the pandemic that 
that wasn't possible. Um, lockdowns and and all of the health concerns meant uh, that we had to deliver that virtually as a workplace and supporting the university services so and delivering those services, we had to be able to deliver those virtually as well. So we had to very, very quickly uh, deploy a lot of things that might have been done. We had a lot of people who worked on a maybe a desktop computer. Maybe they, they didn't all have laptops, and we had to very quickly uh, find a lot of laptops to be able to send out to people. We had to make sure that students who were traveling who maybe didn't or, or who had who were uh, not local and didn't have a laptop at, at home uh, had the computers they use and some of them might have used library services or kiosks in the in the university environment so there's a lot of logistics that had to be addressed at being able to get people able to be able to carry on virtually without the services that they were accustomed to I, I, I recall that we had um, some locations where, they had to be able to facilitate people who would drop in to use a library type of a service, maybe at a, at, in locations at different campuses that were closer to where students were, to be able to facilitate them having access to the connectivity, the internet, and the applications they required. Um, and then we also saw a lot of cyber threats that um, grew from these things. We had to deploy cybersecurity controls to be able to protect more virtualized services and things that were not on, on campus. So there were certain, like, it, it, if you walked on campus, you wouldn't notice this, right? But in, in my line of work, um, the accesses that we provide and the connectivity we provide here on campus is one thing, but when we have to rely on people who are using whatever connectivity and device that they've got, when they're not here to be able to do that, maybe it's a mobile phone, maybe it's an iPad, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's a, a, a tablet that doesn't have the ability to run a full software client. So we had to virtualize those services and make those applications available for students and also staff. So we had staff that were used to working on a desktop computer, maybe running um, an application that did, did a lot of computation, maybe in finance, you know. Uh, or in some other area, and we had to be able to figure out how to quickly get them productive in their uh, in their virtual workspace and still have access to the things they had safely as possible. Maybe they would be using a device, and this would be true for students or staff. They might be using a device that's not a a university managed device, and most students wouldn't be using one anyway, but our staff would be. And if it's a, a, a managed device, we have a standard operating environment with certain controls on it. And if they're using a home computer, instead, we have to actually facilitate their access in uh, from a workstation or a system that doesn't have those same controls. So what does that mean? And we, so we had to spend a lot of time doing that. And that probably consumed our first few months, a very intensive effort. I can imagine it's it's like I think the the bring your own device was the headache of a decade a year ago, and the universities like bring your own everything yeah. apps devices. Uh, so. Universities have a really huge BYO footprint, so bring your own footprint, and that is um, a particularly I, I won't just say a unique challenge, but it's a sp specific challenge, right? So if you were in a an airport lounge in an air you know in an airport uh, airline lounge, and you use the Wi-Fi there. From their perspective, you're on a BYO device. You're, it's your system. You're connected to their public, you know, kind of quasi, their, their free network. 
which is like a free now a public network um and maybe there's a password to get onto their network and maybe maybe there's a little you know i accept the conditions of connecting to this network i won't do anything bad and they can kick you off and you use it and it's kind of free and it's easy it's all good right and in a university we have a huge number of people who are bringing their own device that we have no control over and and we have to provide i don't I won't say we have to provide, but we do need to provide um, free connectivity for them because a lot of them are students or their visitors or their guests or their contractors and so forth. And so we've got to actually make that available. And so when every time a university talks about cybersecurity controls, we have to think about the impact to this large number of diverse types of stakeholders all the things they're doing and all the use cases that have to be considered. And having come from many different types of working in many different types of sectors, it is very different. <laughs> it requires a totally different mindset. Deb, you obviously see across lots of different sectors. Um, is there anything that the, you know, the, the private sector or different enterprises could be learning from you know, tertiary? Because it sounds like that uh, you know, Kim and her team are really at the pointy end of moving very quickly in a very dynamic environment. Are there lessons other folk could learn? I, from I think it's a great question, Corey. I think um, you're right. We look, I do work. We, we do work at some point across many different uh, verticals and sectors. Um, what I will say about um, higher education is, uh, you know, I think higher education should give itself a great pat on the back because I, I think it's um, it is quite well progressed compared to. Um, some other sectors who we work with, uh, and you know, I'm not I'm not being biased. I, I was speaking to a CISO of the healthcare sector, and she was saying to me that where banking was ten years ago is where healthcare is at the moment. So they've got a lot of catch up work to do. Um, so coming back to you, to uh, you know you, your question, Corey, around what can others learn? I think others can learn a lot uh, from what universities are doing because. If you think about where is the next generation of workforce is going to come from, they're going to come from our universities, right? Um, and so, yeah, as Kim Kim was um, conveying, yeah, the universities have, have had to learn very quickly to adapt to uh, the yeah. I talk about the expectations of um, the, the generation of, of, of people who are studying at university. So, you know, um, we should be studying from. You know, no, no pun intended. From what universities are doing in terms of, you know, managing and securing, um, you know, access for for um, you know for the most part uh, that that we're giving to to our, our, our student users, our university users, um, and um, yeah, I think uh, the private sector could benefit a lot from doing that exercise. Absolutely. I wanted to ask a question more about so education. Like we're obviously. Seeing- we're obviously seeing renewed attempts with the current government to really make sure that cybersecurity is a centrepiece and it's a it's a collaborative game from individuals, government, private sector. Um, this is also the first time a lot of people a lot of young people are being exposed to their you know security environment. So there's an argument that things are, you know, silent, frictionless and just work. And then there's another argument to say, well, security needs to be baked into every conversation about connecting. Does that I mean this is probably a, a you know, different question, but it is an interesting one. In on one hand, we want things to be frictionless. On the other hand, we have to start baking in that security should be part of many conversations. Look, it, 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 it's a tough one, right? Um, I really feel for what we have to go through now because of the threat environment has changed the game. So here in Australia, in the past 
uh, six months, so since since the Optus and the Metabank um, attacks, which are so notorious um, and have breached so many people's, you know, private and 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 identity documentation, um, we have to be concerned about things in ways that we didn't before. So I I would be pretty confident that in the past that. There would probably be students who would share passwords, right? I don't know if that's still the case. You know, I, I think human nature would be that you trust your friends. Uh, we know that um, in the in the cohort of students who are, you know, school leavers and coming in, that friends are a really big influence group on them. And so uh, what their friends are doing or what their friends believe might be, you know, part of what they, they're having to uh, consider in terms of the business rules. And then we have that really delicate balance of how do we not interfere with what is being done here, which is learning and, and discovery and exploration while keeping it safe, which is not, you know, not disclosing information that shouldn't be, uh, that, that isn't needed by other people. And in the past, I know that students and staff would say, how is it that I'm a target? I don't really believe that. Why would somebody want my stuff? Like, what could they do with it? And that's what's changed in the past six months. So uh, probably all of Australia, in terms of society, has had to grow up a little bit or acknowledge that the bad guys do want your stuff. You know, they, they, they're not, they, they do it. And, and, and of course, what we didn't know before uh, in my profession, we knew, right? But what did everybody didn't know before is that the bad guys are going to actually use our identity information to steal from us, okay? If they don't steal it from us, they're going to use our identity to steal from somebody else, our neighbor, our friends, right, our family, um, the vulnerable, and so forth. And so the stakes have gone up, right, for everybody. So I probably see more requests and concerns about privacy than we saw before. Uh, we get all kinds of requests here. Uh, I, uh, even though my team handle a lot of incoming requests that come in uh, about, you know, various types of security, uh, I keep an eye on them. I don't interfere. I, I just ask my team questions about them. You know, what are we saying to this one? Uh, what do we think about that request uh, or that um, problem that's been brought up? Uh, so I, but I do want to always keep uh, my um, uh, attention on the pulse of what is going on and what people are thinking. And I know our executives and our manager, our senior managers, are more concerned than ever about the duty of care over the privacy of information. We're doing a lot of work to be able to determine where personal information is kept in our university and how, and what we need to do around it. And that's a uh, a, a whole initiative of work because we probably have a more complex, you know, scenario of what we have to protect in that space. So it, it's really hard to um, address that. But I, I think the last six months with the notorious data breaches here in Australia have changed things probably uh, forever. Mm, I think um, that uh, point you just raised around like the program of works to work through what you have, what you need to have. I think there would be many organisations moving through that same process at the moment and there's uh, there's been some very interesting articles written which I think has challenged the status quo that you need everything either for marketing or whatnot or things like Royal Commissions where you need everything. But um, Nam, uh, we'll just sort of, you know, wind up on this point. Is that, are you seeing that as well where companies are really 
looking or organisations are looking at what do we have? Do we need it? Do we know how to get rid of it? Do we know when we should get rid of it? It's a yeah, big question. Absolutely. So look, um, you know, when, when I speak to, um, you know, digital leaders or cybersecurity leaders, it, it, it is definitely a, a key principle that, you know, uh, lots of people are, are assessing uh, and reviewing um, from a identity or access uh, perspective. Um, you know, we are having a lot of conversations with our customers around you know, how do we take a least privileged approach um, to, to access, right? So, um, so again, bringing this back to the identity context, um, you know, the, the question of, you know, should um, a particular person have, you know, such and such access um, over a given time or, um, or, sh- or should that this person not? Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, what we want to achieve is we want to remove unnecessary excess access, uh, for all users across, you know, an organization in, in you know, in the university context. It's, uh, it's making sure that our researchers, our teachers and students, um, yeah, have, have, um, a least privileged access profile. Um, and, you know, that this conversation is definitely keeping us busy. So I can say from that point of view, absolutely yes. Um, Kim, final thoughts. Um, it's a it's a it's a big job. It's an exciting job, I think. And we've, you've mentioned a number of times that quite the unique um, position of the responsibility to students, which um, which is quite interesting because it's such an important stage of of life, whether they're mature age students or you know school leavers. But um, any kind of final thoughts for you that you wanted to share? Um, look, I think the university environment is just. Um, it's a fascinating area, right? It's a, I, I, I was new to higher education when I got here three and a half years ago. Um, had come from a lot more high security environments in defense, uh, also working as a managed security services provider for many years, working across lots of industries, but higher education was new. And, um, I, I was up for a challenge, but I had to, I have to still, remind myself that we can't impose a singular security policy on an organization like this. And, and, and I think I'll say that again, many organizations can impose a singular security policy, whether it's a fence, whether it's a, a guard shack, whether it's a receptionist and visitors can't come through or whether it's certain uh, singular or common access rules for everybody to be able to gain access to the internet or the inner part of the organization's environment. You can't, you, it's not that simple at a university, right? So yes, we have a public facing website and yes, we have some internal resources, but we don't have a single set of rules for what that boundary is. And very much what I think um, Nat, uh, Nam said earlier about the security boundary has changed, right? The security boundary is the person now. And that's what we learned in the pandemic. The security boundary is our people, whether they're students, whether they're staff, whether they're contractors, and whatever they're doing that's related to our business, that's their boundary. That's the boundary we have to protect. And we need to understand many different things. What we haven't discussed at all and I would just throw into the mix for people's food for thought is third parties and cloud providers, right? So we now have a highly virtual and hybrid network and infrastructure environment generally in our society and for computing. 
uh, it would be rare for an organization not to use any third parties at all unless they're quite small. And an organization like ours uses lots. So we have a very large presence of um, services that are delivered by third-party providers, and we have to consider that, and that adds a, a level of complexity to the picture too. But it it just all means that there's no way to have a one-size-fits-all security policy or set of security controls, and that makes the job complicated, but it also makes it very interesting and challenging. So uh, hopefully we're doing a good enough job. Well done. I think it's a beautiful way to put it. It is, uh, it's not a one size fits all and being flexible and making sure you're securing people and, but giving them the room to, to do what they need to do. Um, Kim Belwa, uh, Nam Lam, thank you so much. It's been a really great discussion and appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Corey. We hope you enjoyed this Identity Inside Out Getting ID Right podcast. Brought to you by SailPoint. For more, keep tuning in to innovationoz.com forward slash podcasts or visit sailpoint.com.